Welcome to our podcast, A Place Called Porch. I'm your host, Megan Zamora, and I invite you to kick back, relax, and enjoy the friendship, history, and stories of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. Tribal Council Secretary Charlotte Meckle is my great aunt. She's vivacious, entertaining, and shares some unexpected stories from her childhood. I've known her all my life, and even I found myself learning new things about her during the time we shared together. Well, good afternoon, Megan, and <laughs> thanks for the invite to uh, be able to tell my story for the porch news. Yep. Um, all right. So whenever folks first come to the community, one of the first questions people are inevitably going to ask is, who are you people? How do you connect to the porch community? So let's start there. How do you connect to the porch community? Well, my paternal grandparents was Will and Bessie McGee, and my maternal grandparents was Dan and Lena McGee. Uh, had a lot of aunts and uncles on both sides and plenty of cousins. Uh, my family, they were migrant workers. They went different places, uh, picking up potatoes, uh, cotton. They were very hard workers. Um, they went logging, pup wood. Um, my uh, Aunt Roberta, she was known as the educator because she really put a lot of emphasis on education. And she worked as a secretary for the tribal council, as well so as my mother for many, many years. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was the sheriff. His nickname was Deputy Dan, mm -hmm. and that was good and bad. It was good if you had a ran out of gas or had a flat tire, <laughs> uh, then or you had a friend that got a speeding ticket. <laughs> but uh, but if there was a party in the community. <laughs> You wouldn't want to know that that was your granddad because he would be coming through with the flashlight. Uh, but uh, yeah, with him, I could never get away with anything. And since I lived across the street from the schoolhouse, I could never play hooky. And what's really funny, believe it or not, is I worked on a potato shed uh, and a cucumber shed. I picked cotton. I picked up pecans and a lot just to get extra spending money. I never knew that about you and Charlotte, and I have known you literally all my life. <laughs> well, I'm not afraid of hard work. <laughs> no, you're not. That's definitely something I would, whether you were my family or not, I would definitely say um, you are an individual who would give somebody the shirt off your back if, if that's what they needed because you, and you've always been that way. Yep. You've always been that way. Um, do you have a favorite, and you shared some of your memories and stuff of growing up here in the porch community, but do you have a favorite memory or something that really just stands out to you um, from when you were growing up here? Well, yeah, well, like I said, I had a lot of aunts and uncles and a lot of people that I called aunt and uncle who really wasn't my aunt and uncle. But if I went to their house, I was treated just like one of their children and, and disciplined like their children. <laughs> if you did something wrong, you were going to catch it whether they were supposed to or not. But, um, and I remember my mom saying that uh, 
if your friends want you to come and play with you and you had some chores to do, they will help you do your chores. And that's a fact because we would go to the swimming hole. It was the creek it's grown up now. But we'd play water games and sometimes we'd either take a bath over there. <laughs> and that creek was known as a baptismal hole for the people that grew up around here and got baptized. And it's, as I look back, it was, you know, it's just a standing joke. Uh, my Aunt Martha had the little grocery store and the people would say, well, buy me a Coke, or buy me a candy bar and I'll give you, and I'll pay you back when I get my ending money. Well, that was just a little standing joke. But when the day came that we did get that little bit of Indian money, you know, mm -hmm. people just couldn't believe that it it was a reality. Yeah. We've come a long way since then, haven't we? Yes. And, but, you know, as I would tell people, the three-room schoolhouse, that was some of the best memories. Uh, we looked after one another. It was Everybody was treated equal. Um, we didn't have much, but we shared and we, we took care of each other. So now you, did you go to school at that? It was a consolidated Indian school, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I went there for uh, from the first to the sixth grade. And then we were bused to Atmore to school. And my granddaddy, Dan, was also the bus driver. <laughs> And all, and so he would know whether I got on the bus. And so there again, I couldn't play hooky. But uh, back then, we had so many aunts and uncles. So the principal would say, well, you're forever having to go to a funeral. But <laughs> that's the truth today because, you know, we've lost uh, quite a few tribal members. And it seems like every week it's a funeral we have to attend. Um, and that's... You know, growing up here, we didn't live in, uh, we didn't have fancy houses. We didn't have expensive cars, but we were wealthy because we we had love. We looked after one another. Um, if somebody was in need, somebody was always there to help. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I consider that, you know, wealthy, you know, uh, we didn't we didn't really look on material things because we were all just treated equally. Well, everybody was kind of in the same boat back then. And back in um, 1966, uh, I went away to a uh, girls' school. But before that, we had a missionary by the name of Eloise J. Bradshaw. And she came to St. Anna's. And when she came, she was only to be here for about five years. But she stayed for many, many years. And she also became the godmother to 13 of the tribal member children. And she was my mentor. Uh, and I had the opportunity in 1966 to go to a girls' school in Springfield, South Dakota. And Jean Artis went along with me. But Jean got sick, and so she had to return home. But uh, there's also uh, the late Susan Wicker, uh, Vicki Burns and uh, Virginia Godwin, they went to that school as well. And as I was growing up, I my mother, she talked about the time that she went to the girls' school in Sewanee, Tennessee. Um, she was the only Indian at that school. And she, uh, on her 80th birthday, one of her 
uh, friends from that school surprised her and attended her 80th birthday, and that was a that was a big surprise. Mm-hmm. I remember that. So tell me. So I think that is so interesting, and I think a lot of our tribal members and probably other folks would be a little, maybe a little shocked to know that we had members here go off to boarding school because a lot of times you hear about these boarding school stories of Native Americans being ripped from their, you know, their parents' arms and it was a traumatic experience for them to, you know, have to get their hair cut off and, um, you know, go off to boarding school. Like um, one of the more famous ones is the Carlisle Indian School in Pennsylvania. And then even more recently, you know, we've heard a lot of um, stories about remains being unearthed of all of these children from these boarding schools. Um, So could you share a little bit about what your experience was at boarding school in South Dakota? Well, uh, we got up and we attended church every morning before going to school. At nighttime, we'd have like a study hall. We also had uniforms, but uh, the seniors had different uniforms than the grade school. Um, and I experienced that uh, that not only myself as an Indian, that they experienced a lot of prejudice. And so we kind of like bonded because we realized we wasn't by ourselves and um, I would say that going to that boarding school, it taught me responsibility. Uh, it taught me how much I could achieve if I did, you know, the hard work. And I think that helped me, you know, throughout life, the experience that I learned uh, that, you know, just given the opportunity, you can achieve a lot of you know, good things. And I look back on that time and I told it to my daughter um, and if you can imagine a 16-year-old girl going that far away from home, um, but I, I wasn't afraid because the people there became your family. And so there, there it wasn't just a Native American boarding school. Yes, it was. It was. It was just a Native American boarding school. Yes. But the one that my mother attended wasn't. Was not. Okay. Yeah. So you got to meet other Native Americans from other tribes there. Correct. And uh, there was also a Native American boys' school named Bishop Hare. And so we got together uh, for social functions. Uh, We also had a basketball team. It was just like a a regular, you know, high school. And one of the highlights is that the headmaster... uh, and if you were good and your grades were up, you got to go to their house and babysit their child. So that way you got to watch movies and have popcorn and stuff that, that other people at the school didn't get to, didn't get to do. But uh, I don't regret a minute of it. And how long were you there? For just a year. For a year. So one of the things that, um, I don't know that I've ever shared this with you actually, but I guess coming up, you know, it's your Aunt Charlotte this, your Aunt Charlotte that, your Aunt Charlotte's out in Germany, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but you've always been, at least in my eyes, the fearless one. You know, you don't care, it is what it is, and it's I, I've always felt like um, you're not intimidated by anything, and it seems like nothing 
really scares you. You just okay. Here we go. Let's 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 jump into it. You know, and I've all and I have always admired that about you, Aunt Charlotte, um, because you know here here I am growing up in Alabama, and oh, your Aunt Charlotte's in Germany, and da 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 da, da and you know, so it's um, it's been. It's been really interesting for me being your great niece to know you over all these years. And one of the things that's been so remarkable to me is even from as far as Germany, I still felt like we were so connected. And I think that, uh, and even back then, you know, we of course we had the telephone, but now we've got all manner of ways to communicate. But even back then, like, you always found a way to stay connected to your family, even across the ocean. And I've always thought that was so remarkable. Um, and I would joke, and I know I've shared this with you before, um, but also with mom, I said, here it is. Aunt Charlotte's all the way in Germany. We're just right down the road. And she knows something before we do. <laughs> well, well, for 40 years, I didn't live in Porch, uh, I got married in 1969, and my husband, my first husband, went into the military, and it took us all over the United States and Europe. Um, but what I did is uh, I would get the newsletter and I'd read it from front to back. Uh, there was something I didn't understand. I would call the department, and I found my mother once a week. Uh, and then later on, when the newsletter got online, I would be able to <clears throat> to know a lot more that was going on then. And then I had the opportunity of uh, getting on the ethics board when it was developed. And I was a secretary, even from Germany, on that, you know, like you said, with the telephones and everything that kept you contacted. And I just... Um, as we would move from duty station to duty station, we'd make a point of coming through at more. And I would always um, plan my leave around the powwow times because I could see my relatives in one place. And, and it was just, it was really nice, uh, you know, to come for the powwow. And I, we would, back when the uh, <clears throat> 8-track uh, video, we would take that. And I'd show it to my friends in Germany, and they would just be, oh, that's so colorful, that's so pretty. And then I'd have to tell them about my little brother, uh, Douglas, who uh, was one of the dancers. And they said, oh, I can't believe all of that. And I just, you know, just wanted to stay in touch with uh, what was all that was going on. And I did that. Uh, I, when I moved back here to the States, I was on a lot of the boards. I was on the regulatory, the uh, uh, the grievance. The uh, I got off the ethics board and was on the housing board, and I just served as a secretary and stuff for there. And it just gave me a lot of uh, insight to how the government worked and uh, and its various entities. So you served. So you worked as a civil servant for the military for how long? For 36 plus years. <laughs> yep. And that, and you know, and that brings a lot of um, experience and just a depth of knowledge uh, to the tribe. I, I think, 
I think what you bring to the tribal council is a, a different perspective that's been outside of porch and has seen, you know, a different way of doing things. Um, and so once you moved back from Germany, you, uh, you and Uncle Martin were in Houston, right? Uh, San Antonio, San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio. I know it was Texas. Sorry. And y'all were there for a few years and you finally, y'all, he finally convinced him to move back to Porch. Well, yes, because of uh, my mother and dad, they were, you know, getting up in age and became a little sickly, and and I just uh, felt it was time to move back here. And plus, I built my home mm -hmm. before I left Germany. Uh, and so uh, when I left Germany, I told Uncle Sam I would give him couple more years mm -hmm. so I went to San Antonio and did two years there and then I moved back here and so after uh, retiring from the federal service and I moved back here to porch I I wanted to still be involved with uh, what was going on and with the various committees and I just love the interaction with the people and staying busy so that's why I elected to run for tribal council um, I just wanted to give back to the community that I grew up in, and I figured what better way to do that than to to get involved with the decision makings and, and and serve on the tribal council. And because of my 36 years for the federal service, I was always in upper management and and supervisory jobs and dealing with people from various walks of life, enlisted soldiers and officers and I just felt with my education and my work experience and my knowledge and everything that I could be an asset, you know, to the tribal council. So what does a, um, what do you think a tip, how would you explain like a typical day for you? Because I know that you might be here in the office on a meeting or you know, running the roads, helping people get to and from doctor's appointments. So let's hear what a, what a typical day for Charlotte Mitchell looks like. Well, for me, it's not a typical day. Okay. <laughs> there, there's no day that's the same because, uh, you know, I try to be in the office, you know, before eight in the morning, but uh, I could get a phone call that during the night and I'd have to have a tribal member or our tribal employee during the day, and so I'd have to <clears throat> wait till you know the departments open. So uh, I can't say that there's one day that's the same. Uh, I like to stay busy, and wherever I'm needed, if I got to help in a, a department somewhere or mail out birthday checks, that's right. We have done that, haven't we? <laughs> whatever, whatever needs to be done, um, and as I just like to stay busy in between workshops and council meetings and uh but I really love assisting you know the elders and when they're short over at the sales center I I love doing that you know to see the smiles on their faces and, and another um, thing that I, I think that you've become known for since you've been on council is you know anytime there's a funeral you know people gotta eat afterwards people you know they're grieving and mourning and going through a difficult time and then at some point in time it hits you and like man i'm hungry and you always make sure that people have something to eat 
and um, and you typically are the one that's going to serve the food and help clean up afterwards too. Well, uh, when I got on the uh, garbage sales in Sandy Hollinger and myself, you know that was our role. You know, so they would have one point of contact. So if they contacted Garvis or Sandy or me, then we would let the other one know so it's not being duplicate. And um, we streamlined it pretty good, and it worked well with the, with the casino because we had one point of contact from there. But what was really good is because when I was growing up, we always cooked food and took it to the churches or took it to the house. And uh, I've had a lot of family members say, that that has really been a big help to them and a big benefit. It took a lot off their mind because they were dealing with loved ones and making arrangements and not having having to worry about that. It's a stressful time. And I'm just glad that uh, I was able to help and all. And then, you know, uh, the council loves to make a flower arrangement. And so we're doing that. But then... Uh, when tribal member benefits were short of personnel, I uh, took on that responsibility of ordering the flowers, but now they do it, and they do a, a great job in sending it to tribal members all over the United States. And I think it's those small things that really, they really do go a long way. It's the small details and the small things that go a long way. Um well, just a little thank you that comes from them makes it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yep, just to know that they've been considered and people are thinking of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, we're all family. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you were elected to council in what year? 2016. In 2016. All right, so you've been on council now for what? This is going on my second term. Okay. So and, five years. Yeah, and uh, and if I, you know, I want to continue if I'm reelected to serve as, as a secretary. So in, in and I like the role as secretary. I mean, I know there are others, and uh, and like I said, uh, my duties as secretary has been is outlined in the constitution, but I go above and beyond that because I like, like I said, I like to stay busy. Um, it makes a day go by quicker. Uh, and I just feel with the secretary, it was things that I've done so much for the federal government. Mm-hmm. So um, not too much of a learning curve that I had to I had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so since being on council, what do you what are some things that you've learned? Is it what you thought it was going to be before getting involved on council? Well, you know, before I got on the council, you know, you'd sit at uh, a council meeting and say, well, why did they do that? Why did they make a decision this way? But I can tell you that uh, once you sit around that table, you realize it's not that easy because when I vote on something, I ask myself, well, is this going to benefit the majority of the tribal members or if it's going to benefit a selective few, and it's not a, a easy task. And one of the, I think the hardest things is uh, you're presented with a situation from a tribal member and you bring it up, you know, to the other council members uh, and, you know, you don't know if they're necessarily going to get their buy-in. 
but at least you can uh, have peace of mind that you did present it um, and let your voice be heard around the table. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's one of the um, aspects that we don't always hear about is as a council member, regardless of what position you hold, you're an advocate for the majority of the people, but also for individuals too. And you're right. You have to get that buy-in from the majority before something can be done uh, above and beyond what's already being done. And that's not always an easy thing to do to, to get everybody on board, um, you know, with this or that. Well, we, we have a lot of programs that, uh, that's been generated and stuff. And, and our main goal is to be able to have the sustainability you know, to keep the programs that we have, you know, in effect, because it's like if you give a child something uh, today and you allow them to do that and they've done that for six months along and then you take that away, then that child's not going to understand why. And I feel as leaders, it is our responsibility to, uh, to see that uh, we continue to prosper and have the programs that we've set aside that uh, for our future generations that is still there mm -hmm. because we hear from our ancestors and we know what they didn't have. So we want to do, well, it's like my mother wanted to do more for me. I want to do more for my children and my children would hopefully want to do more, you know, for theirs. That's right. Whenever you look to the future, um, what concerns you about the tribe? Well, I like knowing, uh, pride in knowing that, you know, we've come a long way for us to be, you know, treated as a nobody growing up and seeing, you know, you know, growing up in rural Alabama and seeing what we've accomplished now. It's hard for people to, to understand, oh no, that didn't happen to you. But yes, we've lived it and to be able, like, my children, they never had to experience prejudice, even though they're military brats. Um, they, they don't know what it, what it is. Uh, and all, and I just think that, uh, for me, my parents, they, and my grandparents, they wanted to, they wanted to make sure that at early age that, so we were Creek Indians. And we were made to understand, you know, the sacrifices that our ancestors made in order to provide the needs to support children growing up in rural Alabama. Like I stated earlier, uh, my uncles and stuff, they were migrant workers and um, they went logging camps and they did what they could in order to, you know, to make a living. And I really think that... Um, because of that, I come from a, a, a family that uh, believed in hard work because nothing was really, you know, given to us. And uh, my mother would always say to me, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, then you need to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, because that way that person would count on you. Well, Charlotte said she was going to do this and that's what you know, she's going to do. Um, and I, I just, uh, we just need to try to keep 
you know, the memories alive. You know, I just fear that with the younger generation, uh, they're going to lose a part of the history if we don't each day tell them the stories of the past. Uh, I just, uh, I'm proud of my heritage. I'm, I'm proud that I'm Porch Creek and the financial support that the tribe is giving to its me members have significantly increased, you know, over the years. And, and it's a great benefit, you know, to a lot of them. Uh, like I said earlier, we didn't, I didn't, we didn't live in fancy houses and have expensive cars. And I'm, I'm glad to see that a lot of the young people are, they're starting out with their own homes and they having one or two cars. Uh, when I went to Jefferson Davis, we had to carpool and it was, usually it was family vehicle that I used. And I just, uh, I just want to, I keep saying to my children all the time, you know, you're really, really blessed. Mm -hmm. We all, I mean, we all are very blessed. Right. Well, Aunt Charlotte, I think that's about all the time we have. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience before we uh, call it a day? Uh, no, I guess we, we just need to keep the, you know, our history alive. We, and uh, I'm just so proud of our young people with the language that they're learning and, mm -hmm. you know, to, to see the, the kids from Fred L, you know, go to Oklahoma and, and bring back, you know, first place and all. It's just really good. And and I really like the uh, the CD that we got as a gift this mm -hmm. year. Yeah. And all and my friends from Germany uh, that visited me, I let them hear some of it. Oh, and they're cool. going to learn some of the words. What do they think about it? Oh, they think it's great. Uh, and one thing, when I was in Germany, when it came Halloween, I didn't have to do much. I just dressed up as an Indian. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for this time, Aunt Charlotte. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed your time with us today. For more information about the Porch Band of Creek Indians, please visit our website, porchcreekindians.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, A Place Called Porch.